Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look this morning really just about at one verse as we begin a study in a letter written by Paul the Apostle, and it's to a man by the name of Timothy. Now, these letters go together as 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Those three books of the Bible all go together. They're called uh, pastoral epistles. Now, Paul wrote to a younger friend. His name was Timothy. He helped Paul in the ministry. Now, Paul had this huge impact on this guy. In fact, on Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy joined him and traveled with him most of the rest of Paul's life. He was dis- discipled and, uh, by Paul the Apostle and trained. Now, this letter is both personal and practical. It's very personal in the sense it's written to a person. It's written to a man by the name of Timothy. And he writes to him about a lot of different things, about living for Christ and making a difference and the different things that he wants him to do. So it's very personal. And then we can look at it and say there's a lot of things in here that we can apply in that way. It's also very practical practical because it's written to a local church. The, the church is not named here, but the best that we can tell when I say not named, it's mentioned in verse 3 that it's the church at Ephesus. And so he writes this letter to Timothy who then reads this letter before the church at Ephesus with information concerning how the church is to, to have its order and the leadership, and he deals with false teachers and practical instructions. So there's all kind of things in this letter. Our prayer is this, that as we go through First Timothy, and let me tell you, I mentioned a while ago, there's a lot of things in this book, and, and if you could, if you wanted to, you could read a chapter a day. That means you'll read the book once a week, basically. There's six chapters. And what you'll see in there is you study it. There's some very famous passages that you've heard before, but then there's some passages in there that are very, very hard. And let me tell you, there's some things in here that we'll get to that are that the truths of the Scripture are contrary to the culture. They're contrary to what you're taught today in our world, in our culture. It's contrary to it. So we have to look at that, and we have to make decisions. Do we live by the Scripture, or do we live by the culture? The bottom line, we live by the Scripture. So our prayer is this, that from our study of 1 Timothy, we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, as we start, you know, there are a lot of things that we buy that need instructions. If you're a dad and you bought toys for your kids, you have to put them together. There's instructions. When you buy a computer, there's all kind of instructions. If you go get medicine, you read on the thing. It tells you how to take it, what to do. Uh, even when a car, you buy a car, there's that owner's manual. It's all the instructions. Well, one of the things we often realize or sometimes don't realize that for a believer, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, their instructions, there's a book of instructions for us. We call it the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's alive. It's powerful. It's, it's the truth. It's instructions how we are to live in a fallen world. It's instructions how we're to conduct ourselves. In fact, how we're to live in the body of Christ. In fact, in this letter, look at this. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, I wrote this letter so that you would know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, the church. He says, I wrote this so you'll know how to live. So you'll know how to live as you gather together with believers. So you'll know how to live as you go through life. And as we study Paul's letter to Timothy, we're going to find that he gives instructions not only to Timothy, but to a local body as well. And so we can make some applications. First of all, there's some things to Timothy, dealing with spiritual gifts and his service and his lifestyle, and we can make application about our own lives. But he also writes to the body, to the local church. That's us as the body of Christ and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves and what we're supposed to do. In fact, there's some issues in the book that he deals with or in the letter that he deals with. Let me show you what they are. First of all, he deals with issues of leadership. How are leaders supposed to be? What are we supposed to look for? In a local church, there are men raised up to take positions of leadership. What type of men are they to be? How do we know what to do? So we'll see that as we go through the book. Then he deals with false teachers, how to recognize and deal with them. You may not realize this, but you can turn on the television, the radio, uh, book, some places you can go to. There are false teachers there. There are people who teach things contrary to the Word of God, and you need to know 
what to look for, how to recognize it. Bottom line, we need to know the Scripture so we can deal with it. So Paul talks to Timothy about dealing with false teachers. The last thing is relationships. And he talks about relating to men and women and families and businesses and all that as he goes through the letter. And that's a truth in our lives because we relate to one another and we need to know how to do that. Well, this morning, we begin our study in 1 Timothy. And I've got something for you. If, you, if you're in your bulletin, if you notice, there's a little outline, there's a, a little insert in there that we gave you. And on one side it has Paul's letter, to, first letter to Timothy, and it talks about the author and the, uh, the recipient and the dates and some themes and key verses. And it gives you kind of the out, you know, sort of the things that are, we're going to study. And then on the flip side is actually the outline of the book. It's a little bit more detailed than we put in your bulletin, but you can keep this in your Bible. And as you go through 1 Timothy yourself or as we go through it here at Countryside, you can look and see where we are, see how it fits together. And as you do your own study, you can say, okay, this is where I see we are in the section. So that's why we gave you that. And hopefully that will be beneficial to you And just put it over there in Timothy And that will help you find the book when you're looking for it And it will help you as you study Now, as I said earlier 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus all go together They call pastoral epistles Because they deal with local church and the local body As we stated earlier This letter was written to a man named Timothy But it was meant to be read to the whole church Can you imagine that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy Timothy got it And then he got together with the fellow believers in Ephesus And he said, here's a letter from Paul Let me read it to you And they read it and they talked about it And they studied it in the way that we do it And not in the same way that I'm sure they went much faster And there's some things that they're in the letters that they understood completely because it was first century and they knew exactly what they were saying. There's things for us since 2,000 years have passed, and it's a different language, Greek. This is now English. We have to look at it and say, now, what this word means and those kind of things, it helps us as we put these things together. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Well, let's get some background, okay? Let's talk about this. First of all, the author. The author is a man named Paul. Now, we know about Paul. At Countryside, as you know, I've been here 24 years, and we have gone through almost every book in the Bible. We've taught almost all of Paul's letters. We've taught Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. We've taught 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus before. We've taught Philemon. We've taught all those books over a period of time. I think it's been eight or nine years since we've looked at 1 Timothy. So we think about every 10 years, eight or nine years, we'll go back back through some of these books so that we can make sure we've got them. Now, Paul was an apostle. In fact, if you notice verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. So Paul writes this letter, and let me tell you a little bit of background about him. If you were here last week, we ended the book of Philippians. When we did that, we got a little overflow of the book of Philippians or a little big picture of it. Let me give you this. Paul was a man, he grew up in a town called Tarsus. It was in a place called Cilicia, which is modern-day Turkey. His father was a Roman citizen, but he was also Jewish, and apparently they were wealthy. Because at about the age of 12, Paul was sent from his hometown, Tarsus, and he sent all the way to Jerusalem. So modern-day Turkey to modern-day Jerusalem. And he went there, and he studied under a teacher by the name of Gamal, who was the greatest teacher of the day. Gamal was a Pharisee. He taught about the law. He taught about the Old Testament. He taught about all those kind of things. To them, that's all they had was the Old Testament. But he taught about all the rules and everything. And Paul says in the book of Galatians that he was the top student he was so smart. Paul was brilliant. And he went in there and he learned all this stuff. And let me tell you what he did. He, if you said to Paul, what do you think you have to do to get to God, Paul? What do you think you have to do to get to the God of Israel? What do you think you have to do? Because Paul's Jewish. He would say, what you have to do is obey the commandments. Now, there, there, were, there were 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. 
Not ten. That was the top ten. There was top ten, and then he added a bunch more later, okay? So there's a whole bunch of commandments. And Paul, if you said to Paul, you mean you keep all those commandments? And he would say, well, no, you, you can't keep them all, but whenever you, whenever you mess up, you have to go do something else. So if you said to Paul, how is it you get to God? He would think it would be by law, by trying to live a righteous lifestyle. Some of you may have brought up, been growing up thinking that the way you go to heaven, the way you get to God is try to live a good life or try to be a good person, try to keep the Ten Commandments, not the 613 or whatever. So, you know, sometimes people think that. Well, the truth is, salvation is not by our works or righteousness or goodness. It's not by the law. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, and we're saved when we believe in him as our Savior. Now, here's what happened. Paul studied under this guy named Gamal, and he said, you know, the way to God is through the law. Well, about that time, when Paul was studying, Jesus of Nazareth came along. And Jesus taught that he was the Messiah and the Savior, and the way to God was faith in him. And, of course, a lot of the Jews rejected all that, and they put Jesus on the cross, and he died and paid for sin and rose again. And most likely, Paul was at the crucifixion of Christ because Paul would have been in the city because it was the Passover, and Paul, would, as a good Jew, would have been in Jerusalem for Passover. And so he most likely saw Jesus die. And, and then all these people began to believe in Jesus, and it was called the new way, or the way. And Paul hated it. So Paul decided that he would persecute those, those followers of this new way. They later became known as Christians in a town called Antioch. They were first called Christians. So if we call ourselves Christians, it's because a group of people in Antioch called themselves followers of Christ, which was, became known as, as Christians. And so Paul was going after this new way. And he would actually go, and he would get them, and he would arrest them, and he would bring them back to Jerusalem, and some of them would be put to death. One time he decided he would go to Damascus. He would leave Jerusalem, go to Damascus, and because he heard there was some of this new way up there, and he had written uh, authority from the high priest to go to Damascus because it was actually outside their territory. And so on the way to Damascus, riding on whatever animal he was riding, Jesus Christ appeared to him and blinded him, knocked him off whatever he was riding. Other people were with him. They fell off their horses or donkeys or whatever, and, and, and Paul heard a voice. Now, the other guys with him, they didn't hear a voice. They, they heard a sound, but they didn't hear the voice. Paul heard someone speaking to him in Hebrew, and it was Jesus. And he said, Saul, Saul, because that's Paul's other name, Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, Paul realized that Jesus was alive, that he had died on the cross because he probably saw him die, but he really was alive, and he was right there on the road to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, Paul believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and the way to have eternal life was faith in Christ. And from that day forward, in the same way that he was zealous to persecute Christians, he now came to be one who would stand for Jesus Christ and tell people all about salvation. And so he started there, went back to his hometown for a while, came back to Jerusalem, and then he went on a missionary journey and came back. He went on a second missionary journey and came back. And on that second missionary journey, he picked up the guy named Timothy. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then on his third missionary journey, he came back and, and, and he came to Jerusalem and he got arrested and he got in put into prison. But let me tell you this. His, his, his mission was told in the book of Acts. He said, Paul, you're going to go to the Gentiles. And you're going to turn them from darkness to light. From death to life. And that was his job. And he knew he would go to people who weren't Jewish. He'd go into a town. He'd go to the Jew first. He'd go to the synagogue. They'd usually kick him out. And when he'd kick him out, he would go to the Gentiles. And, and the Gentiles were trusting in Jesus Christ. 
And he would form a church and he would teach the people. He'd get it established and then he'd leave and he'd go to another place. That's Paul's background. Now listen, he wrote this letter and he, go ahead, he writes a letter to this guy named Timothy. Now Timothy was from a town called Lystra. And Lystra was a little place that Paul went through. It's modern Turkey. He went through it on his second missionary journey. While Paul was in Lystra, some people came up to him and they said to him, there's this young guy over here who is really on fire for Christ. And Paul said, what's his name? He said, his name's Timothy. So we, Paul went over to Timothy and said, listen, I'm going to go on some more trips and places. It's going to be really dangerous. You want to go? And Timothy said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go with you. And it was really dangerous because they'd beat Paul and throw him in the jail and they'd beat Timothy and they did all this stuff. And so Paul and Timothy started going together and they went all around and they went to a second missionary journey and then he went to a third missionary journey. And then when they came back, they got Paul and they beat him up and they put him into jail and he stayed in jail in Caesarea for two years. And then they took him and they took him all the way to Rome and he was in prison for two more years. And that's when he wrote that letter to the Philippians that we just finished last week. And while Paul was in prison in Rome, he prayed, maybe I can get out. And he did. And when he got out, Timothy was with him and they went to Ephesus. And while they were there, there for a short time, and then Paul left Ephesus and left Timothy there. And after he left, he wrote this letter to Timothy while he was at Ephesus. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, you remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So Paul left Timothy in Ephesus and then wrote this letter. So just picture you're Timothy. You've traveled with Paul for years. You love him. You've been beaten up. You've stood for Christ. You've done everything. Paul says, okay, I'm leaving you. You stay here. And then after you're there for a little bit, you get a letter, and it's from Paul, and he gives you these instructions. This is what we're going to look at in the weeks to come. So what we see a couple of things is when was it written? Well, on that little card, it says about 63 to 66 A.D. We're not sure exactly the date, but it was after Paul was out of prison in Rome. And sometime in that time period, best we know, the Paul was killed around 67 A.D. They took him back to Rome, put him in prison. He writes Second Timothy, and then they kill him. When I was first growing as a Christian, when I first got all excited, I loved Paul. I just thought he was the greatest. And when I realized that they killed him... I didn't want to know how, so I wouldn't even I wouldn't read in any books for a long time to find out how Paul died because I just didn't want to find out. I just didn't want to think about him dying, but he did die, by the way. And uh, so he wrote these letters. Great thing. Now, here's the second question we got: When did he write this, and why did he write this? What, what's the purpose of this letter? Well, there's there were problems that developed in the church at Ephesus. And so he writes, and and the same thing is true in any local church. There's always issues. There's always problems that need to be dealt with. And so there were three things primarily that he wanted him to deal with. He wanted him to appoint leaders in the body because you need mature men in leadership in a church for it to function. So he said, Timothy, I want you to appoint leaders. That's chapter 3. He wanted him to deal with false teachers. Now, false teachers come into the church all the time if you're not careful. They teach things contrary to the Scripture. And so Paul wanted him to deal with that, and, and we'll see that in the book. And then he wanted to, he talked about administration in the church, meaning how the church flows and leadership and unity and relationships. So simply put, false doctrine needed to be dealt with, disorder needed to be fixed, and there needed to be mature leadership. Now, not only that did he write about those issues, but he was personal. 
personal things, instructions of Timothy. He wanted Timothy to grow as a believer. He wanted Timothy to take leadership. And he wanted him to fulfill his ministry. And I want you to think about this. He wanted Timothy to grow. In fact, in the book, he talks about Timothy being a man of prayer and to fight the good fight. He wanted him to take leadership. Timothy was a young man. Timothy was going to have to go into a church with some older men and lead and say, this is the way it's going to be. Because they got a letter from Paul, who was an apostle. And so Timothy had to take leadership. And the third thing, is he, wanted to, he wanted Timothy to fulfill the ministry that God had for him. Because Timothy had different gifts, talents, and abilities. Now, in the same way, we're to do that. We are, we are to grow as believers. So the question you could ask yourself, are you growing as a Christian? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Are you learning the word? Are you living it out in your life? Second is, what are your gifts, talents, and abilities? The third thing is, how are you serving? If you consider this your church, if you come on a regular basis to Countryside, whether you're a member or not, if you consider this your local body, then you ought to be using your gifts, talents, and abilities to touch lives in this body. So what are your gifts? How can you serve? How can you connect? A lot of different things. It's powerful. Well, the big question could be, why should we? Why should we study this letter? Well, we need to know how the church is to function. That's one of the things. What are the characteristics of a leader? What about the offices? How, how vital is it for the church? And how does all this fit together? So he deals with relationships, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. He deals with all of that. We need to know how to function. Number two, we need to understand sound doctrine, which means the truth from the Bible. Many places do not teach the Bible. That's just part of the problem that we see. People are growing up, and they're not knowing the Bible. They've got all kind of little tests out. George Barnes has been doing these surveys, and he's asking people who've been in church all their lives, and he's asking them basic Bible questions, and nobody knows the answers. It's because people aren't taught the Scripture anymore. That's one of the problems. A lot of people today say, you don't want to bore people with the Scripture. You've got to entertain them. You did not come here to be entertained. You came here to be taught the Word of God so you can know it and apply it in your life. That's the key. Don't go to be entertained. Go to be taught the Scripture so you can say, I'm learning the Word and I'm growing as a believer. We need to understand the Word of God. It's the key. It's the issues, especially with the false teachers, so that you can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not true. That's not right. That's not what the Bible says. You've got to know that. And the third, we need to be encouraged to, to live holy, to live holy lives, to be godly men and women. Because we're ambassadors for Christ. And many of your college students, you go right onto that campus, and you've got to be the lights. We talked about it last week as we ended Philippians. There'll be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation on which we shine as lights in the world. You shine as a light on that campus. We've got to do that. The outline, if you remember... I've got it for you on the back of this card, and I've got it a little bit detailed for you so you can see different things. And so as you look at it, he deals with Paul's purpose, I mean, Timothy's purpose and some instructions and dealing with apostasy and relationships and false teachers and expectations. So there's a lot of things, and if you want to, as you take time to, to study it on your own or to look at it, you can see the outline of the study. Let me do this. Let's, let's begin. We're only going to get verse 1 this morning, so we'll be through in just a few minutes. But I want you to see how this fits together. Even though it's just one verse to start with, it's pretty powerful. Notice verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Now, notice how the letter begins. When we write letters today, we write a letter like this. We go, Dear Ralph, and then we write, and at the very end, they, I love you, JB, right? That's how we do it. 
Right, but in, that, but in that day and time, they didn't say, Dear Ralph, and at the end, they put at the very beginning, the person who wrote the letter said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the person writing the letter wrote his name first so they'd know who it's from. Then notice verse 2, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. So at the very beginning of a letter, they knew who wrote it and who it was to. That's just how they did it in that time. Now, notice something else that's just pretty powerful. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle is the Greek word apostolon, which means one sent forth with authority. An apostle was a unique person. He was a person who had been set apart by Jesus Christ to go out with the truth. They represented Jesus Christ. They were the authority. When Paul wrote a letter, he wrote 13 letters. When Paul wrote a letter, it was the same as Jesus Christ saying it. Same. Same as God saying it because they were controlled by the Holy Spirit and these were apostles, men with that authority. Now what we know is that when the canon of Scripture got completed, which is the whole New Testament, and the apostles died off, the authority goes to the Word of God. It's the authority in our lives. No pastor, no teacher is your authority. The Word of God is your authority. As long as I'm teaching you what the Scripture says, and I say, this says this, and you go, that's right, that's authority. But if I say to you, now let me tell you, here's what I think. That's not authority. The authority is the Word of God. And so when we scatter into this community, you go out with the authority of the Scripture. You represent Jesus Christ. Now see, we're not apostles, but we are what they call ambassadors, which are representatives. And we go out into this community representing Jesus Christ, uh, telling people about Christ. So Paul says, I'm an apostle, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, have you ever noticed something? Most of us, if I said, what's Jesus' name? You'd say, well, Jesus. And then I'd say, no, give me his whole name. And you'd say, oh, uh, Jesus Christ. As if his mother and father's last name was Christ, Mr. and Mrs. Christ. But it wasn't. It was Jesus of Nazareth, right? Jesus of Nazareth. And he was called Jesus the Christ. The Christ is a title of the Messiah. But if you notice, sometimes you read in the Bible and it'll call him Jesus Christ. And sometimes you read in the Bible and it'll call him Christ Jesus. Notice this passage. Paul, an apostle of... Christ Jesus. Why do they do that? Well, I want you to understand something. When they put the name Jesus first, when they say Jesus Christ, the emphasis is on his humanity because Jesus is his personal name. When they put it Christ Jesus, the emphasis is on his deity. And in the very first part of this letter, notice verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus. At the end of verse 1, of Christ Jesus. At the end of verse 2, Christ Jesus our Lord. Three times he calls him Christ Jesus. Why? Because if you notice down in verse 3 and 4, he's dealing with false teachers. He writes at the very beginning of the letter showing the deity of Jesus Christ as he deals with false teachers. That's why he does that. So anytime you read the scripture and you see Jesus Christ, you know he's saying the, the emphasis is on humanity. Whenever you see Christ Jesus, the emphasis is on his deity. Notice it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according, he's an apostle, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. A commandment. That word really means a commission. It means a royal order. He is saying that God has commissioned me to be an apostle. He represents Jesus Christ. Notice he's an apostle of Christ, an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment, the royal order of God. You know, when you think about representing Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, Jesus was, people say, well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a great example. He's all of those, but he's much more than that. 
He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's the eternal one who's always existed. He's the one who died in your place, paid for sins, and rose again. He is the only true God and the Savior of the world. He is that unique and special. Now, he says, by the commandment of God, by the commission of God, he was sent out. Now, I want you to think about this. This commission is twofold. One, it's Paul's commission. He was sent to go to the Gentiles. And he writes that. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I I go to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. He was sent to change them from darkness to light to, to death to life. And that was the key there. But you know what? We have a commission too. Our commission is what we often call the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. That's our commission. Our commission is to make disciples, to lead people to Christ and train them and equip them. So we've been commissioned, not as an apostle. We've been commissioned as ambassadors to go into this world. Now, there's something... I'm going to see this last part, and then we'll stop. Notice this commandment, this commission is of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And it deals with two things. It deals God the Father and Jesus the Son. First of all, God the Father. Notice he calls Father the Savior. He says, God our Savior. Most of the time you think of Jesus Christ as the Savior. You think Jesus came and saved us. But in this passage, the emphasis is on the Father being the Savior. Because the Father is the one who sent the Son. Most of the time we think of God as a judge. There are a lot of people who think of God as, as waiting there to just crush them. That if they just get out of line a little bit, He's going to smush them. And the truth is we're all out of line, Right? But really, God has not come to crush us or to judge us. In fact, John 3.17 says, He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God the Father wants to save every person. That's why He sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And so in this passage, it's talking about the Father as the Savior. First John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent His Son to be the satisfactory payment. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His love toward us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. We all know John 3.16, that God loved the world, that He gave His Son. Over and over, we see that God is the Savior. Now, the second thing is the Son, Jesus Christ, through God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Now, When we use the word hope in English, we say something like, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I get a big piece of chicken. Right? I mean, we hope. You know, that's what we hope. We hope stuff like that. But we don't know if we're going to get it, right? But the Greek word for hope means an eager anticipation. It means it's for sure. And when it talks about that Jesus Christ is our hope, the idea is the hope of eternal life. Not that eternal life is like, oh, I hope I get eternal life. It's the eager anticipation of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. The moment you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. One day you'll be with Him. So when He talks about Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus who is our hope, Not only is the hope of eternal life, but He is the ray, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is all of that. We look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Savior. So when we think about Jesus as hope, we have eternal life and we wait for Him to come get us. It could be any second. So, we just looked at one verse. Paul declares that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been sent out with this royal commission by the Father who saves us and by the Son who gives us the hope 
of eternal life. So, as we begin, we've looked at the background, Paul to Timothy, to the church, issues about church and leadership and false teachers. He then talks about the fact that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let me give you application, because that's what we do. The whole purpose of study of the Word of God is to apply it. So let's talk about some applications. Here's number one. Let's understand how the church is to function. First Timothy 3.15 basically says so that you'll know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. There's several areas that as we think about how the church functions, several areas. First of all, leadership. We need to understand the leadership. How to, how to, how, what are the characteristics of men who are to be in places of leadership? That's the key one. The second one is unity. How to get along with one another. How we relate to one another in the body. And he's going to deal with all ages, all kind of people, all through this thing. And the third thing, and this is a key one, is recognize and deal with false teachers. So that you will be able to recognize a false teacher. Now the bottom line is the only way you're going to be able to do that is you've got to know the scripture. You've got to know the word of God so that when you hear somebody say something and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, 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 that doesn't match scripture. That doesn't match scripture. That's why you have to know the Bible. You must know what you believe and why. We, we come together to worship and be trained. Let me tell you, I found this quote. This guy by the name of Charles Jefferson, he talks about the difference between uh, an audience and a church. Listen to this. Charles Jefferson said, A sharp distinction ought to be made between a church and an audience. An audience is a group of unrelated people drawn together by a short-lived attraction. An audience is a crowd. A church is a family. An audience is a gathering. A church is a fellowship. Pastors are not to draw a crowd but to teach the Word of God to the family. We're a family. We've come together to study the Word of God. We're not trying to draw a crowd. We like to get as many people in here as we can, not to draw a crowd, but to teach the Word of God so that we can know it and apply it and change our lives and change other people's lives. So let's understand how the church is a function. Number two, let's be effective and be an effective ambassador of Jesus Christ. Paul was an apostle. He had the authority. We're ambassadors. We have the authority of the Scripture. We go out with the Word of God. Here's the two things. Number one, we need to know the message. You need to make sure you know the message. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. That's the message. Let me just say this. If you've come this morning and somebody were to say to you, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you can't answer, yes, I know I'm going to heaven for sure, then I want to tell you right now, you can know for sure, and here's how. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. That's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has paid the penalty and he offers to every person, especially you, he offers to you eternal life, meaning living with him, being with him forever, and it's simply by faith. You trust in Christ to give you eternal life. It is not works. It is not going to church. It is not being baptized. It is not doing any of those things. It is simply faith alone in Christ. That's salvation. We need to know that message. We need to be clear on that message. And when we go out these doors and go onto that campus and this community, we need to be ready to share that message. So being an effective ambassador is knowing the message. The second thing is knowing the Word of God so that we can be ready to give an answer, that we can teach people, we can help people grow. And so three things just to think about. Number one is realize we represent Jesus Christ. That's the key. We're an ambassador. Number two is we are to be faithful. We're to be faithful to live for him. And number three is we are to make disciples. 
Leading people to Christ, training them, and equipping them. So that's that's the key. This is just a start. We'll be going through uh, Timothy, First Timothy, verse by verse, passage by passage. And let me tell you what, you need to read it ahead. There's some really hard stuff in here. And what you need to do is mark it down and say, I wonder what we're going to say about this when we get to this passage. Because some of it's really hard, and we'll see it as we go through it. May we gain from our study of First Timothy, not only as a local body, but each one individually as we seek to live for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the book of First Timothy and all the things that are there. Lord, we realize that we want to know how the church functions and leadership and unity and false teachers and all those kind of things. We want to come together not to draw a crowd, but to teach the Word of God. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Lord, we also realize we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent him. We need to know the message and be very clear. And then, Lord, we need to know the word of God so that not only can we lead people to Christ, but train them and equip them as we represent our Savior, as we're faithful, and we make disciples. Lord, thank you for these great truths. Thank you for each one that is here this morning. Lord, I pray they come back and we have a great time, especially this school year. Lord, I pray for each of the students as they really get on into the campus and the the classes and, and all the great activities and all the fun things that we have. I pray, Lord, that we'll be and they will be your representatives as ambassadors for Christ, as though you were beseeching through them so that people can know Jesus Christ as Savior. Use them, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.